every year, the Oxford English Dictionary picks a word of the year that their staff feels reflects the ethos, the mood, the preoccupations of that particular year, and that will have a lasting potential as a word of cultural significance. Past years have included such important words as selfie and unfriend, carbon footprint and Sudoku. In 2016, the word they chose was post-truth, as in, we live in a post-truth era in which facts and evidence are increasingly seen as irrelevant. More importantly, we are told, is the truthiness of a thing, one of my favorite words. Truthiness being that the idea makes us feel like it is right because it appeals to us. And so, of course, no one can tell me that my feeling is wrong, so attempts to discuss differing views become nothing more than meaningless strutting and peacocking. And beyond our culture's current insistence that the truth isn't real, any one of us can get sucked into that temptation to lie. In a study that was done in 2002, participants were engaged in a 10-minute long everyday conversation. All they had to do was just chat. Would you believe me if I told you that 60% of the people lied two to three times in 10 minutes, and there wasn't anything at stake? All they had to do was chat. Now, you don't have to read the Bible for too long before you realize that the truth matters in Scripture. The Lord tells Isaiah, I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. And Jesus told us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And three times in the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth. Throughout Scripture, we are told, beware of liars and deceivers and do not fall into the trap of becoming one ourselves. And we, of course, know that it's in the Ten Commandments. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. And so, whether in formal settings or our private lives, Scripture is clear. The truth is sacred, and it's a part of our calling. And that's where we meet Paul and Timothy in our epistle reading, because Paul had sent several years, maybe two or three years, in Ephesus, growing the church and doing missionary work there. He knew the people at that church, and he cared for them deeply, but God's calling doesn't always let us stay with the people who hold our hearts. Sometimes we have to move on. And so Paul left the church at Ephesus under the care of his friend and mission co-worker, Timothy. And that's what these letters are about. Paul is responding to reports of what he's heard that's been going on in the church. And he's trying to give Timothy some advice about how to proceed. Since Paul had left Ephesus, other teachers have come in, and the words they are preaching and teaching are not truth. They are corrupted and counterfeit. They're not what Paul taught his brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's not what Paul wants them to hear. Now, he doesn't clarify exactly what this false teaching is. That would be helpful, but it's just not the truth. And the result of all this deception is a catalog of sins that would do the devil proud, selfishness, greediness, lack of self-control, abusiveness, 
brutality, treachery, recklessness, hedonism, turning from the truth, abandoning holiness is leading the people to turn from God, to turn from their communities and their families and heed only their own appetites. Now Paul loves these Christians like they're his children, and he needs them to see the light, just, just like he did on that road. And so in very few words, he tells Timothy a Bible story. Remember when? Remember when Moses and Aaron were starting to lead the people of God? And Moses had confronted Pharaoh to let my people go, but Pharaoh said, I do not know your God. And so Moses returned to challenge Pharaoh once more. But Pharaoh knew Moses, we remember. He was that Hebrew child who had grown up in his household. The Pharaoh was unimpressed with Moses' newfound identification with the people of his birth. If you're so special, if I should really listen to you, Pharaoh said, do a miracle. Do a miracle for me. And just as the Lord had told him to, Moses instructed Aaron to throw down his staff and to turn it into a snake. Pharaoh was unimpressed. He asked his magicians to do the same thing. And they cast spells and they used their secret arts and they appeared to do the same thing. But you know what? A trick is not the same thing as the truth. Because Aaron didn't need to cast spells to bind the serpent. The Lord commanded, and it happened. A miracle is when God gets involved beyond what humanity can do. Magic is when humanity mimics what only God can do. That trick looked good enough to Pharaoh because Pharaoh was not interested in what was true. By the way, if you have ever wondered, there is actually a way to do this trick that snake charmers have been practicing for many years. They can actually put really strong pressure on a nerve just under the cobra's head, and it gets incredibly rigid. From a distance, it even looks like a staff I've read, I haven't seen. <laughs> and to finish off that trick, the snake charmer just throws it to the ground and that jolt sort of shakes the snake out of its catatonic, stake and its catatonic state and it slithers on. It's a really good trick, but it's still not the truth. That point is underscored, as John said, because Aaron's staff swallows the magician's two staffs, those two snakes. Ancient tradition called these two magicians Janus and Jambres, and they wrote legends about them which are unfortunately lost to us today. But Janus and Jambres opposed Moses again and again. Moses showed them up every time because the word and the light of truth is beyond our preference, it's beyond our coaxing, and it's certainly beyond our control. And so, Paul reminds Timothy, just as the Egyptians could not enslave the people that God guaranteed would be free, so too would the false te teachers in the early church be stopped. 
opposing God is the greatest folly that there is, and the truth will come out eventually. Now, this is a great story. Paul ties the past with his present together so neatly, and he offers strong words of encouragement for young pastor Timothy. And I think it's a really appealing message for us today as well. Look at those sinners, how awful they are. Avoid those guys. And then think about those silly women so easily captivated by false teaching. Think of all those people who are always being instructed and can never arrive at a knowledge of the truth. We all know people like that, don't we? Well, thank God we aren't those people. And, dear God, if there's any humility in us at all, this moment should give us pause. Because if we were those people, we probably wouldn't know it. And for each one we might point out, they'd probably say the same thing about us. So the bigger question is not, does the truth matter? Because we know that it does. The question becomes, how do we know the truth? If we take that challenge to seek the truth seriously, then that complexity can become mind-numbing in a heartbeat. But fear not. God did not create the heavens and the earth to be a chaos. God did not tell us to seek the Lord in chaos. God speaks the truth and declares what is right. So, you might say, that simplifies things. We just open up the Bible and it will tell us what to do in every situation, argument over. This is, of course, why theology books are so short and understandable and easy to read, yeah? I'm sure you know what comes next. Do I follow the passage of scripture that says to act or the one that says to wait patiently for the Lord? Do I seek vengeance or offer forgiveness? Is it a time to build up or a time to break down? A time to seek, a time to lose, a time to keep or throw away, a time to love, a time to hate? Ah! <laughs> Our quest for truth needs more than an open the Bible to a random page and do whatever that verse says type theology. But the Bible itself does teach us how to tell what is true. Any teaching should pass three tests. First is the rule of love. Does this teaching reflect the love of God and Christ and Spirit? A love that created all that is, a love that gave his life for mine, a love that leads me and protects me all the days of my life, does this teaching make me more loving and encourage others to be more loving? The second is the rule of justice, because we know our God is a God of justice who seeks the well-being of all, great and small, rich and poor, old and young. Does this teaching lead to greater justice and equality in the world? Is it concerned with fairness and human dignity? Does it lift up others and show them to be cherished children of God? Third and lastly is the rule of faith. Does this teaching emerge from the scriptures and from the traditions of the church? Does it reflect trust in God as our help 
and the source of our life? And can it stand up to scrutiny within the community of Christ? My friends, truth comes from God, and it cannot be contained by us. Neither can we ever grasp it fully, and that is why we are called to be humble in community. That is why we are called to seek the truth and to speak what we have found and to listen to one another. As we test the teachings, we must ask ourselves, does it pass the rule of love? Does it pass the rule of justice? Does it pass the rule of faith? In hope and in prayer, we trust that the Spirit helps us to discern this light, to truly be the church reformed and always reforming, because the Spirit can give us eyes to see and ears to hear a new word of truth. May we seek that light each day of our lives. Amen.